0: Welcome to the ADS Podcast. This is where we talk about all things audience development for the arts related. Join us for discussions about audience building tips, ideas, concepts, and philosophies with sometimes brought in special guests. And now, here's your latest podcast for you. Hi, this is Shoshana Finitza from Audience Development Specialists and welcome to a new episode of the ADS Podcast. Today I have one of my clients, composer and impresario Gustav Hoyer, and we're going to be talking about his new podcast, the Anachronism Podcast, as well as other things about audience development for classical music. Before we invite Gustav Hoyer to the ADS Podcast, I just want to tell you a little bit about him. And Gustav Hoyer was born in December, Colorado in 1972. He began his musical pursuits in high school by studying music theory, piano, and violin. He pursued degrees in composition and has written music for a wide variety of ensembles, media, and settings. His recorded music has been heard in film, on radio, and in performance around the world. He continues to create new music that draws on the tools of classic vocabulary to create musical narratives that are modern in their contemplations. He was the founder and artistic director for the Los Angeles-based Orchestra Unleashed and is currently serving as the artistic director of NOCO Artists. As a conductor, he has performed over 20 new compositions by composers from around the world. Hoyer has been writing modern music in the classical vocabulary for most of his life. His compositions have been recorded and heard in concerts around the world, but his passion is for something more transcendent, leading audiences to encounters of unexpected beauty in an age of overstimulation. And as Gustav says, I never would have discovered classical music on my own without someone else welcoming me into it. I hope this music can be the gateway to an outstanding moment in time. So let's welcome Gustav Hoyer to the ADS podcast. Welcome, Gustav.
1: Thank you, Shoshana. Pleased to be here.
0: I'm so glad you're here. And I have already told the audience that this is the first podcast that I've had an actual client on. Shame on me, because I have some amazing clients, and I thought it would be great to have you on the show, because you started a podcast of your own.
1: I have, yes, Uh, the Anachronism Podcast. The Anachronism
0: Podcast.
1: Yep, and we've got about just a handful of episodes launched, so just early on.
0: Wonderful. So let's just dive right in, because I'm really curious about this, and I know my listeners will be too. What exactly is the Anachronism Podcast?
1: Um, it's really born out of my passion to help new audiences discover the classical music tradition, and I always hesitate to use the word classical music People know generally what it means, but they'll often think that that's the music written 100 or 200 years ago. (laughs) And they may not realize that it's also being written today. And so I want to help introduce new listeners, if I can, to the beauties of this music. Perhaps they haven't encountered it quite this way before and to give it an intimate feeling as well.
0: Wonderful. And so why anachronism?
1: Uh, That's really an expression of my own personal aesthetic bias uh in a lot of ways i feel that uh i have been born a person out of time the popular music of our day is very far afield from the orchestra or even more the the subtle quiet music of chamber music tradition and it is unusual to invest a lifetime of music making in classical music Relative to the total sum of new music that's being produced. And so it's a bit of an anachronistic or an out of my time choice to mm-hmm. love and pursue and cultivate this music when there's so much other popular music, modern music that's happening and it's more commercially vigorous. It's much more ubiquitous. Um, and so it's a little bit out of its time.
0: Yes. And do you feel that you are a little bit out of your time? And the reason I say that is my listeners, if if you're just starting to get to know Gustav's work and brand through some of the tweets and social media I've been putting out there, he is a steampunk fan. So (laughs) that's why I'm asking, do you feel you're out of out of place in time?
1: I do a little (laughs) bit. Um, And the choice of musical style is reflective of A broader set of aesthetics and I have always loved some of the older um, artwork not just music actually but uh, the steampunk ideal is really what if you took the future what if you looked at what year we're in but you looked at it from 1860 or 1880. So you're surrounded by machines that are steam powered. It's really in the early days, the earliest days of electricity, but you're looking forward to the future and all the excitement and technical innovation and steampunk is it's almost an alternate future that it's imagined. And so it's a very whimsical nod to the past and the aesthetics of prior ages, particularly the 19th century, but then also uh, filled with uh, a sense of uh, innovation as well, and that's the punk part. That it's a little, it's a little countercultural in a sense.
0: Right, right. And so, in a sense, your music is um, looking back to the past, as you have told me many times, and use that as inspiration for looking towards the future. So it, it fits you very well, definitely. So. Um, what types of topics are you doing on the The Anachronism Podcast?
1: Well, our first episodes really got to the heart of what I hope the podcast continues to explore. And number one, it's well, why this type of music? Of all the other types of music a person could choose to listen to nowadays, what are what are the beauties of classical music? And some of that is only unlocked when you actively listen. And I like to say that in the classical tradition especially, the creativity of the listener is every bit as important as the creativity of the performer and the composer. And so we explore what does it mean to listen creatively? How do you, as a listener, enter into this music that can be a little complicated, sometimes a bit technical at first, and enter into that experience with a little bit of knowledge, maybe some new insights about how to listen. And those are our first couple episodes. And then from there, we're going to go and talk to musicians and impresarios of various forms in the classical modern classical tradition who are out creating this older style of music and this this mode of making music in our time and i want to ask the question why did you find this music what is appealing about it to you and explore all the people who have chosen this road like i have and see if there's something in there that I can learn. And maybe my listeners discover some new music, some wonderful new composers as well. Uh, Jeff Nitsch, I had the pleasure of having him on my most recent podcast.
0: Mm-hmm. And I'm
1: looking forward to future guests and exploring this question. Why classical music in a modern age?
0: So are you hoping in exploring this question with people that are already in love with classical music and a part of the the genre today? Are you hoping that you'll within sharing the love for classical music with these people that you might find other people that would find it relevant to their lives?
1: Exactly. Yeah. By by looking at the experiences and it's the very human experiences that everybody who loves this music has. By sharing the stories by which we found this this form of music, maybe there's some listeners out there who don't know that they would love it and have never been invited in. And so we want to take some of the austerity and maybe the remoteness and even the ostentation of classical music and its formality and set that aside and and reacquaint with the very deep humanness that this musical tradition has. And maybe that does inspire some new folks to love it. And and also, it's a chance to connect with the folks who are out there doing wonderful stuff and a chance to share their work as well.
0: Oh, I love that. So you're giving the listener kind of a one-on-one on how to actively listen and then pairing it with people that already are involved to get them up to date with what's happening with today's classical music world. So I really like that. And that goes into my next question, actually, who are you actually looking for as guests for your show?
1: I'm looking for folks who compose music, maybe perform classical music in unconventional ways. So not the traditional austerity of the, of, The culture of classical music as we know it today, but folks who are taking some risks with bringing this music, whether it's Mozart or Bach or something new, and bringing it to our time. And uh, that may be folks who produce, it could be art curators, Uh, it could be artists from other media that find this classical music an important part of their creative voice. And uh, I'm not sure where it's going to lead, Shoshana, it's really a fun (laughs) adventure
0: Right, to see right.
1: What's out there? Who who's doing stuff and who's making human connections? That's the most important thread of all.
0: That's true. So, I'm just going to put you on the spot here and ask you if you had any way to get a dream guest on, who would it be?
1: Oh, that is a tough one.
0: <laughs> um
1: boy there's so really so many who would come to mind some of the the great the outstanding performers of our time mm-hmm. i would love to explore this question with them but in some ways i um i'm interested in anyone who has given of themselves sacrificed of themselves for this music and that may be performers who've had maybe a less than well-known career but have labored deeply to master their craft And sometimes we think celebrity is the only place where quality lives. Sometimes there's enormous treasures of artistic voice that are hidden. And it's it's tough to say who that would be. I think of folks like Yo-Yo Ma, who is such an inspiring voice of not only the classical tradition, but really the deep humanity of music. Such a beautiful artist. And there's folks like Edgar Meyer, bass player, who cuts over in a crossover way and brings um Bluegrass and folk music tradition to the classical tradition there are outstanding film composers who bring the classical technique and and they help adorn stories told through visual media it could be folks who are doing unconventional programming maybe be bringing in multimedia or breaking down those barriers with the audience um that's a really on the spot question. Thanks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you answered it pretty well. So the fact that you threw in Yo-Yo Ma and, and maybe just throwing it out there in the universe, maybe he'll, he'll come to us and say you want to be on the podcast. So that would be wonderful. Um, but I just wanted to then dive into, we kind of already discussed this a little bit, but what is your, your grand mission for these discussions and, and also kind of roll it into the the types of different community performances that you do. What is your grand mission for all of this that you're doing?
1: At the heart of it all, I am in a lifetime journey to help share my love of this music. And more importantly than just my love, it's actually to help someone else who doesn't know they could love this music, discover it for themselves And by that, I mean a question that I asked my guests and that, Shoshana, you probably have your own experience. When you first heard a piece of classical music and it gripped your imagination in a very, very powerful way and going into that moment in a life and asking the question, what was it? Why did that happen? And if we know that, maybe that moment is yet to happen for someone. And maybe it's at a concert, bringing in the community in an unconventional way and, and challenging what they think classical music is and giving them something that is deeply intimate and very personal and highly relevant. And um, I think a, a, at the end of it all, uh, a thought exercise I like to give folks is imagine a piece of music that you love deeply. And you say this and nearly everyone will have a piece and it doesn't have to be classical music. Um, but imagine your life before you knew about that piece of music and you didn't know it, but you were impoverished in some way. Your life was a, was a poorer version of what it would become once you found that. Well, what if there's some piece out there waiting for you to find that you just don't know it exists yet? And if I can be a guide and a facilitator for folks to encounter those things, uh, I'd be very, very happy.
0: So what was that piece for you?
1: I was in high school, and I didn't train as a musician from a young age. I was in really high school before I studied music at all. And I was taking a music theory class, more out of curiosity uh, than anything. And I remember I encountered two pieces side by side, one Mozart and one Beethoven, so two classical masters, and it was the Minuet and Trio from Mozart's Eine Kleine Nachtmusik, which is a very famous piece of his, and then the First Symphony of Beethoven. And to see two masters take this form and, and have someone walk me through the structure so that no longer was this just a pleasant but maybe slightly bewildering onslaught of sounds coming out of a speaker, but I had some handles that I could grab onto when I started to understand the vocabulary of this music. And I remember it was it was a life-changing moment. It was as if something had opened up to me that I could never have possibly imagined. It was richer and far deeper than I could have expected. It was a transformational moment. And I I share that story with other lovers of this music. And many folks have a similar event. Maybe they were alone and they were emotionally distressed and there's a piece of music that just entered into their soul in a way they never saw coming and all of the cultural connotations of what classical music all that stuff gets sets aside and it's really soul to soul a composer all of the musicians who are bringing that music to life and a listener and in an extraordinary moment and that was what it was for me those two pieces and from there of course discovered a The rich, rich tradition that sits around all of that.
0: Well, I definitely can relate and I have those stories as well. I was actually born into a very musical artistic family. So I grew up with classical music probably from my womb on. And I would say that my major piece was Chopin's revolutionary etude for the piano. When I first heard that, I think I was like five years old and it affected me very, very deeply. And then I would tug on my mom's my mom's uh, dress and say, I want piano lessons. you got to give me piano lessons. And mm-hmm. then after that, in when I was around 10, I started band and I had chosen the French horn and I wasn't sure it was the right instrument. But then my mom played me Brahms Symphony Number 3, and I just absolutely fell in love with the horn after hearing that piece. It it definitely was another big moment in my life that changed my life. So I think that's great that you're sharing your story and and actually asking your podcast guests for this type of story. But I want to also talk about the story that music, the imagery that you had talked about before, and the reason why I want to go into that is I listened to your first podcast with composer Jeffrey Nietzsche, who's actually one of my friends as well. And I absolutely loved when he was talking about how he wants to make classical music relevant by producing a story with his music that people can relate to. So is that something that is a part of your mission as well, creating stories through your music? And um, having that be something that draws more people
1: in? It is. I think that music is a form of storytelling. And songs, it's a very obvious kind of storytelling because you have words and there might be a ballad, which is a story proper, or it might be poetry that's reflecting on a human experience. And so language gives it a story feeling and makes it easy to enter into. Right. Instrumental music is a little more complicated because that story Is suggested through the movement of the music. And and if you never share that, a listener may not understand. They may not have those handholds. And so, uh, as you said, Jeff Nitsch has done a really outstanding job of conceiving of, of story as a central part of his compositional and creative work and has done some fantastic music and describes his process. And that description of his music, he's inviting people into the storytelling. And all of us as humans relate to stories. And I think, and, and this may not be universally true, but many of the musicians like you who have I've spoken with and others, part of the enchantment of classical music is it tells very rich and slightly longer stories. The pieces can be longer, maybe 10 minutes. Some pieces are an hour or more. And if you don't have a, an idea that there's a story happening there, it can be very difficult to pay attention. And that's just, just to be fair to modern audiences. It's tough if you don't have something to hold on to, to guide you through those really long journeys. It's tough to enjoy them. And I, I love how he is doing storytelling and other composers as well. And for me, I try and bring the story of why I'm writing a piece. And uh, I actually had an opportunity to speak to a, a class of first graders this week <laughs> about being a, a yeah, it was really, and and a bit raucous, as you might expect, but uh, <laughs> having an opportunity to explain to them, and I asked them how many of them had kept a journal, and all of them, many of them raised their hands and said, this is where you record your life, and things that are important to you, you write them down for yourself, yeah, yeah, and do any of you love to sit down and draw pictures, and just draw, it? maybe you and your friend at the park, yeah, yeah, we, we do that. I said, well, for a composer and, and even performers and, and instrumentalists have this, it's a way that we're telling our personal story. It's not an abstraction and it's not a science project. It's it's a way that we're bringing our human story, the story of our soul, into the world, inviting others to bring their soul to that story. And, um, and the kids… I believe they understood that, although with first graders, it's not always obvious. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. That is true. That is true. But the fact that some of them raised their hand and said that they do journals, I think that's wonderful that they're starting Mm -hmm. at that young age. Well, the reason why that really compelled me, that whole conversation, is it got me thinking about the composer generally has something in mind when they're doing a a composition. And please correct me if I'm wrong. But usually there's something in their head or something that's inspired them, and they're telling their story through the music. However, the listener themselves, if they don't know that story, actually may create a different story in their mind while listening to the music. So I've been thinking about this. How interesting would it be is if you set up like this experiment where the composer doesn't tell you what the the music is about and then see if the people listening match the story to what the composer had in mind in the first place
1: it's an interesting idea and one i've thought a lot about i think one of the fundamental problems with instrumental music is it's not very good at conveying Absolute idea the way language does. Right. Language is our instrument to do that. And so to do it through music, um, it becomes much, much harder to convey. But I will share a brief story with you that was fun with these kids. I sat down and I, I wrote a suite of short piano works that were inspired by, a, a actually, I was asked to write them for an ipad app that was a retelling a digital retelling of pilgrim's progress which is a a very um it was a very influential book in the 1700s i think 1600s very popular in the u.s a lot of historic connection and it's a allegory it's kind of a religious allegory but it's got a series of episodes so these 15 pieces each is an episode and i sat down and i told the kids all right i'm going to play a piece and I want you to tell me what you think just happened. So I played one of my pieces and it's it's was written when one of the characters is is hanged in a village center. It's very sad. I didn't get into that, but very mournful. And they said, "That's really sad. It sounds like somebody died."
0: <gasps> wow.
1: They that's exactly they what that was. They hit
0: it on the head. That is amazing. They,
1: that they is, did.
0: That's amazing. Well,
1: and I had one other piece which I thought, "Okay, that you know, maybe that's a safe thing for a kid. Oh, it's sad. Maybe somebody died. So I played a second one. That's a depiction of a giant that's holding one of the protagonists in a prison cell. And so it's this very low uh, rumbling sort of low piano music. And I played that and I said, what did that sound like? And he said, um, big, heavy steps. And it sounds like, uh, um, threatening and dangerous and it sounds like you're maybe you're trapped or something that's exactly what the music (laughs) is about so i i gave them high marks for for intuition
0: oh that is fabulous so i'm also wondering then if the childlike imagination is that maybe that's something we need to reignite in adults so they can also be a part of that experience
1: it's a really interesting point and if I may elaborate on it, I think sure. where I would go with that is when you say childlikeness, the beauty of a child's encounter of the world is they don't come with, um, preconceptions. Right. Uh, when you have a lifetime of experience, you start to come to things with a series of judgments already applied on them. A child doesn't have any framework for that yet. So the child just hears it as it is. In some ways, it's the essence of active listening. It's draining yourself of all the things you think that music is supposed to be and just let it be what it is and respond to it on that basis. I think that's actually a beautiful insight, Shoshana. I think there's there's a lot to be said for what you just mentioned.
0: Right, and children, they don't know anything about the label of classical music in general. They just know it's good music.
1: They do, and, <laughs> um, and they may not hear it at home. Some do, mm-hmm. uh, but it is interesting that uh, as a vote of confidence in the power of classical music, I will use this, this observation. It's not unique to me, but when you look at cinema, modern cinema and some of the highest grossing forms of entertainment we have in terms of their their commercial success the big blockbuster movies right almost without exception the biggest high grand storytelling is done with an orchestral score behind it and the power of that texture and the magnitude of its of its um, colors and the subtleties uh it's irreplaceable for that rich storytelling and um, and if you've ever seen a scene from a movie when it's stripped away Uh, when its musical score is stripped away, you realize how central that score is to the experience, the emotional connection that you have with characters. It's born on the vibrations of the sound, not on the photons from the screen.
0: Exactly. Like, I can't imagine, um, I was recently watching Lord of the Rings again for the millionth time, and I can't even imagine that without a soundtrack because all the themes that come in and out of the movie are just bringing so much more to life than what's on the screen.
1: Absolutely. And that leitmotif, that technique that Wagner made famous, it's very powerful because if you have a short musical motive that you repeat, the power of memory is what comes into mind. So when they become memorable, uh, you can start to make dramatic associations between parts of the story that came before. And when that melody comes back and it's it's not. It's a it's the theme of a character who's not on the screen because they just died. It makes it that much more heart wrenching because it's bringing to mind a much richer memory of that character than just just the picture on the screen would convey.
0: That's exactly right. And I I just what popped in my head while you were saying that were horror movies. Like how many times do you hear the music getting all intense before something really happens? So, you know, something's coming up (laughs) just through the music cueing you. So, yeah, it is kind of amazing. So I just wanted to share with the listeners out there because I, I find you a very intriguing composer of today. And, um, you have so many different projects going on and so many projects that you've worked on in the past, but what are you currently working on right now? And I'd I'd like the viewers to really get in touch with all of these different things that you're doing.
1: Um, well, thank you for your kind remark. (laughs) I appreciate that. Um, I have currently, uh, album release that'll be coming out in mid-october i'm really excited it's called the gilded age and it's uh continuing to explore some of that musical inspiration you asked about uh, at the outset and it's a piece that that one part is a string orchestra piece that is a, a direct response from really 20 2018 i wrote it in 2018 if you took that year and you looked back on dvorak's very beautiful string serenade mm-hmm. and you juxtapose those two and it's it's a conversation from one composer to another on on Dvorak's piece so my string piece is a is a mirror image of that reflected from the 21st century uh, but using similar language similar vocabulary and and a real nod to what is a masterpiece Dvorak's work and then some ragtime music so very <laughs> American and ragtime found its genesis at the end of the uh, right around what would be the gilded age that's that 1880 to really 1910 period in american history that is the season of ragtime which is the predecessor to jazz and as a pianist rag music is very near and dear to my heart because it is some of the most engaging and inviting music that a pianist can play pianists love ragtime and so it's a nod to that um so that's a recording project um I have uh, of course really excited about my podcast and uh in addition to that I have another recording project that'll be coming up next year uh and it's more full orchestral work and I'll I'll be sharing more about that in the months ahead I'm still working on a, on actually my first symphony it's a very intimidating journey actually so still in the middle of that and then I hope to bring this this gilded age the music that's coming out on CD and or and release, I guess CD is pretty passe to even say it dates me. But uh, a recorded release. Um, <laughs> hey, vinyl's gonna,
0: coming back, so don't worry. <laughs> that's right. I should say vinyl
1: would make me more modern. Right, than, than CD. exactly. Um, uh, live events that bring this this dialogue, but be- with Dvorak and then my own string serenade and then these rags. I, I'm looking forward to doing some live performances in some cities around the U S. Hopefully in early 2020. So those projects are still developing, but. Live performance is really important to me because it it is a way to reinforce the human connection that I think classical music can bring in a way different than other forms of music that we listen to. Uh, A concert in a stadium with 100,000 listeners or something like that uh, can only be so intimate. It's made intimate by the volume. It's very, very loud. But the performers are very distant. And and the individual connection with them if you can barely see them it's you have to look at them on a tv screen but in a classical concert especially with these sorts of things they're highly intimate and each individual is precious to the experience because every person in that room is influencing what's happening and so i hope to bring those those events uh to some different towns around the country in 2020 so more i'll have more on that through my uh, as i get it figured out
0: so you're talking about house concerts or what you dub as salon concerts?
1: Yes, uh, or or it may be in a venue where it's a bigger, a slightly bigger setting, maybe mm-hmm. more like a hundred people, one hundred and fifty people, still intimate, maybe not in a house, uh, maybe but a venue that could comfortably uh, accommodate that number of people. Because part of the challenge, if I'm going to do of my string music it's 15 or 20 string players right. and that just takes a certain amount of space most homes are not so there are of course homes that could accommodate that but they're fairly rare and <laughs> i don't necessarily know a lot of folks with right. homes like that so um salons are better for smaller chamber stuff and that may be coming as well some piano work or uh, small chamber music work but these concerts would be f- uh, for a little bit bigger ensemble
0: okay Awesome. So I also want to see if you can talk about your Yamaha project because that's pretty interesting.
1: So a friend of mine, a a dear friend of mine, who's an outstanding pianist, his name's Benjamin Harding, and he played in a concert of mine this spring. I brought him to Colorado and we did a performance together and, and he shares a passion for connecting with audiences. And as we finished up that set of concerts, I approached him about maybe recording my rags and one other piano work I had done. And, and I knew that would complete the album that I'd started, uh, The Gilded Age, that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Well, going through that process, he started learning the music. He knows someone who is very connected to the Yamaha Corporation, and his name is Hugh Sung. He he actually helps deal pianos in Pennsylvania. <laughs> he had this connection with Yamaha that there's these instruments That will record all the performance parameters on an instrument and turn them into a MIDI file. And that isn't so novel because we've had keyboards and MIDI. This is not new technology. But what's interesting about what Yamaha has done is they've created concert quality instruments. So it's a studio grand. It's a six foot grand piano that can be, you can play it. I did play it. It's, it's a lovely piano. Mm. But in the process of playing this normal piano, there's a digital Record of what an, a performer has done, and that can be saved. And then this is where it's cool and a little bit meta. And what you do is you take that MIDI file, and we're going to take it over to a concert size Yamaha that's similarly equipped. And I don't know if it's a 10-footer. It's it's a very large, very (laughs) resonant (laughs) instrument. It's a big one. Yeah, true concert grand, Yamaha concert grand. And he's going to take his performance from the studio grand, play it back through that bigger piano, and that's what we're going to record. So when the album releases, that's the recorded audio. But what's so meta about it, for me at least, when I think of ragtime music, I, I think of a very specific event from my childhood, uh... A friend of our family's, I went to their home, and I was quite young and was just playing and and being a little guy. There (laughs) was a player piano there, an old player piano, and they had piano rolls, maybe one or two, and it was kind of a prop for them. I don't think anybody played piano, but you could push the foot pedals on this thing, and the keyboard magically plays, and you could feel like you're making this grand, beautiful Joplin rag, and you don't have to play anything, and I (laughs) I remember thinking – The player piano as a mechanical device and ragtime as a style of music, they really go hand in hand. Yeah, they do. And so I thought, how meta to create modern rags in the 21st century and basically take the equivalent of a 21st century. Ours is a digital player piano. And play the rags through there so it's a live player recording all the signals that's benjamin so you do hear a human artist it's not just mechanically produced it's not just computer produced it's human produced but it's sent through a player piano so it's got this very meta nod (laughs) to the history of ragtime and and player piano and what it means to have pianos and to reproduce music through first it was paper rolls before the phonograph there's just so much history that comes together it's really fun i'm glad you asked about it
0: yeah yeah i was curious and you'll be releasing some videos i take it on this project
1: yes we'll have some video from the sessions um and they're they're active in fact it was just last week that he was doing the recordings on the smaller on the smaller yamaha so i think the the audio and the video will be coming out um really over the next few weeks and the album will release in october and we'll have video that goes along with that too
0: Oh, neat. Well, I can't wait to hear some of these projects come to life. And I just wanted to tell my viewers or my listeners really quickly that one of the projects that was fairly recent was The Escape Room. And I thought that was like such an ingenious way to bring classical music to to people that maybe never would come, come close to classical music unless they have this type of experience. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about the escape room?
1: Uh, sure, yeah. The escape room was uh, born out of my fascination with escape rooms. I do enjoy them. And my bit of uh, anachronistic sentiment came to pass. We, I ended up creating a series of musical puzzles. And the whole point of the puzzles was to help folks enter into the structures and some of the, the this inner story of the music without needing to, maybe they've never heard classical music at all. And so the escape room had a series of musical puzzles that assembled a piece in layers, uh, but it did it in a way that was very subtle. And so the, the clues were playing fragments of the piece that would ultimately be to solve the, the room, to escape the room. You had to get a series of three live players, you had to get them to play the piece front to back and that was a musical lock. And so to unlock the musical lock, you had to solve these musical puzzles so that they could play the piece and you could escape the room. And uh and for some of the folks who came to the escape room, they'd never heard live players. They they I mean they in fact had a a, per, a very personal, very intimate music concert with three string players and it was a lot of fun.
0: God, that is so ingenious. And I'm just amazed at some of these projects that you're coming up with. And I hope uh, other composers and musicians around the world are, are being equally creative in order to get classical music out there to the masses. So we've come full circle based on what I just said. And I just want to say, um, do you have any last thoughts about audience development for classical music?
1: Well, uh, for one thing, I'd say, Shoshana, you've done an outstanding job of challenging musicians and classical musicians to think differently. And in fact, uh we met because of your writing and, and your work. <laughs> I found you on on the Internet and through your podcast and some of your other information. And you've put a lot of really great thought into breaking down the barrier, Thank that you. barrier of ostentation. So I would refer listeners to your body of work, <laughs> honestly. Thank um, you. But uh, but uh, I think I think those of us who love this tradition of music are not content to see it disappear into irrelevance because it is worth it is worth saving. And I don't know that we need to save it, but every generation needs to curate it, cultivate it and expand it. And I think it is a voice of our time. And there's living composers who use this vocabulary. But but uh, we're telling stories from now. And audience development, um, unlike Milton Babbitt's comments, uh, I don't think without creative listening, without someone to receive, um, there's uh, classical music's going to be in very, very serious decline. And we see some signs of that, but the music's too wonderful, mm-hmm. I think, to ever fail. It just needs some imaginative uh, and, and energetic people like you and, and Jeff to, to bring it to the world in a way that will that our world's ready to hear it
0: and you we will put you in that category too so um yeah we just need to keep thinking of these amazing projects that will get more and more people involved um like i'm thinking of the the concert that you have where you actually put the kids in the orchestra to let them have a different type of perspective, just things of that nature in order to get people really involved in the classical music so it becomes a part of their experience too.
1: Yeah, and and a note to that too, and I think what's important, um, what I try not to forget uh, as I go because of my passion for this music, I want to be careful that I'm not framing it as something that's um, you do it because it's good for you, kind of like eating your broccoli. Right, uh,
0: right.
1: You know, and I don't think any of us who who love this music, it's not how we view it, and that the way we engage audiences is to say, um, what a rich, deep, and, and a very human thing this is. This will enrich your life. Um, don't do it because you're supposed to. Don't do it because it makes you smart or because you want someone to see you at that show. Uh, do it because it will feed your soul. And and once you've tasted that, uh, at least for some folks, it's irresistible.
0: Right, and don't do it because you want to fall asleep. <laughs> I yeah. I kind of like never liked the the classical albums out there that are like, listen to classical music to fall asleep to. And I don't think that's what it's for because to me, it's like the hot fudge Sunday, not the vegetables. (laughs) So and I think the more that we can get them experiencing that hot fudge richness that you, you talked about. um, I I think more and more people will, will definitely flock to it. Um, I never thought classical music was dying. I just think, a reawakening needs to happen. So,
1: yeah, I think that's well said. Um, that's exactly right.
0: Okay. Well, I want to thank you so much for stopping by the ADS podcast, Gustav.
1: It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Shoshana.
0: All right. Thank you. And good luck with everything you're doing. Thank you. So great to have Gustav drop by. It has been sensational working with him over the past year. I find him to be a very unique and creative composer for today. And I'd like to update the listeners here that the release of his upcoming album, The Gilded Age, is going to now be January 1st for a new music for the new year theme. And you will be able to pre-order this album coming up on December 6th, and we will have more information for you. For all things composer Gustav Hoyer, for his podcast and clips of his music to listen to, please head to GustavHoyer.com. For all things audience development for the arts, please visit my website at buildmyaudience.com. Again, this was Shoshana Finitza from Audience Development Specialists, wishing you and yours a very happy Thanksgiving. Thanks so much.